The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. It's a real joy to be here. I love coming to a Sovereign Grace Church. Um, you know, we're a family of about, I think it's 75 or 80 churches now. And um, we're partnering with you guys in Louisville, Kentucky. And we, we planted our church three and a half years ago. And uh, it has been pure joy, as I'm sure this is pure joy. Uh, it just, I think when we originally, how long have you all been meeting on Saturday night? Uh, yeah, Saturday nights. Saturday nights, uh, infrequently, since September. Since September, okay, because at one point I wasn't sure you even were meeting on Saturday nights. So you are, apparently. And uh, it's just a great joy to see uh, a group of people who are, have a passion in their hearts to see churches built on the gospel and, uh, and all that that entails, all that that means. Now, uh, I, I want to share a little bit about what I do and then just share briefly from a scripture. Um, I've been a part of Sovereign Grace churches for 34 years, 35, so almost from the start. And um, I've been in this position for 19 years. The position I'm in, I've been a pastor for 31 years. And I've been in this position of kind of overseeing the music for Sovereign Grace for 19 years, which means I help uh, produce the albums and help uh, get the songs written and oversee that process and do, do conferences and just try to help our, our leaders, our churches, use music in the church in a way that, that honors Christ. Um, we have a mission statement, Sovereign Grace Music. Our, our mission is to... Uh, produce Christ-exalting songs and training uh, for local churches from local churches. And that last part's really important for us. Sovereign Grace Music isn't like a record company and, uh, you know, a production company. We, we really do what we do um, because of the family of churches that we're a part of. And so uh, last year we had a it was last year, what's the, uh, yeah, 15, we had a Worship God conference, which I do every other year. It's, it's for those who plan and lead corporate worship, and uh, we, leased, we released two albums last year, the Sooner Count the Stars, which is Worshiping the Triune God. We have released a Christmas album the year before, and then uh, we released a kid's album, Theology. If you don't have Theology and you have kids, you should get it. I mean, that's a sh shameless plug, but I just was so excited about it because it's systematic theology for kids in song. And it goes with a book, Theology. And uh, it's a Sovereign Grace pastor, Marty Machowski, who's written a number of children's books and devotionals and curriculums. But it just turned out great. And I get to sing a song about sin called The Scariest Song. And you should get it just for that. Um, so, uh, and then, then we work with songwriters. We have an album. We're working on an album right now called Prayers of the Saints, which is going to be a new... Uh, new songs designed for the church to pray. And uh, we're not out to write the next CCLI hit, the next worship hit. We're trying to write songs that feed the church. Um, because Colossians 3.16 says that we're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, uh, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we're, we're wanting to write those kind of songs that enable the word of Christ, which is the gospel, to dwell in people richly. Um, it's not just about 
you know, what we, what we want to tell God when we get together. It's about remembering what he's done and remembering how that, that affects our lives. Uh, so I love what I do. I can't believe I get to do what I do. Um, and on the personal side, I've been married. I'll be married 40 years in August. She's the most amazing woman. I just called her on the way over here, and we talked. And uh, uh, I've got six kids and almost 18 grandchildren. And in May, we'll have our 18th, Lord willing. And uh, it's just been, a, it's been quite a ride. Uh, but I love doing what I'm doing. So what I want to uh, share with you briefly is from Psalm 108, just about what we do when we get together and kind of, kind of the, the attitude we should have as we gather and as we sing. You know, w w um, I've just come from this conference where um, I spoke quite a bit, and uh, Bill was there, and um, it, was, uh, it was great. It was so rich. Um, and I was sharing some of these things just about how we can have preconceptions when we come in to sing. We, we, some of us come from particular backgrounds, you know, um, might be very traditional, might be charismatic, it might be uh, mainline, it might be nothing, you know, we don't know. But, but as a church, we, we want to look to scripture. We want to look to God for uh, what we do. And that's going to allow for some freedom from church to church, for sure. Uh, but we always evaluate what we do in light of what, what God gives us in his word. So uh, I want to just read a few verses from Psalm 108 that, that I think give us an idea of what God is after in his people as, as we sing to him. Singing isn't the whole of the Christian life, and a lot of people equate singing with worship. And it's not the same thing. Worship is the, our, all our lives. It's everything we do. Singing, music is a part of worship. It was never meant to be the heart of worship. Um, that being said, God has a purpose for singing. And uh, this, is, this is one I just, I just love. Love the, the heart that's captured in these few verses. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5. My heart is steadfast, O God. I'm going to try and not make this another sermon because we're hearing a sermon later. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. One of the things we see is that we don't sing for ourselves first. We sing because we want God's glory to be seen over all the earth. And that's why as the psalm opens, he starts with this. My heart is steadfast, O God. So singing begins from the heart. It's not merely mouthing words. There's something going on in the heart. And there's a solidity, there's a firmness, there's a security. You know, uh, in, in, in many meetings, people come in and they just kind of wait for, like, the music to move them to a certain spot where they think, okay, now I can worship. It's almost like the Holy Spirit just kind of holds, holds off in the background for the first two, three songs, and then he comes in. And it's not like that. It's like we want to come in to, to the gathering of God's people with this, my heart is steadfast, O oh God. It's, why is it steadfast? Well, because 
we're God's people because Jesus Christ has come. He's lived a life we could never live. He's died in our place and he's been risen from the dead. And, and so that <laughs> means we're, we're steadfast. We're secure. My heart is steadfast, O oh God. And then he talks about how that's expressed. I will sing and make melody with all my being. I just love that. I will sing and make melody with all my being. So singing, we think of it as an activity with our, uh, you know, our mouth. We're singing, we're singing, we're making melody. Singing is a lot like speaking, except there's a tune attached to it. And that's what singing is. And it's interesting because he's not just interested in singing. He wants to do it with all his being, which is why, no matter what, culture we come from or what you know, our tradition is, we want to encourage, and I say we, Jacob, if you want to correct me on anything, you just go right ahead. But what we want to encourage is, is a group of people who, if someone were to come into this room, they'd say, wow, these people are passionate about something. And why is that? Well, our hearts are steadfast. And we're going to find out more about that in just a few moments. But I will sing and make melody with all my being. So that's my mind. That's my heart. That's my will. That's my body. That's, it's everything. Um, you know, there are a lot of physical commands in Scripture. God's given us commands too strong, exhortations. Physical ways God has said, this pleases me. This pleases me. Now, what pleases God most of all is a life that's lived for the glory of God. That Colossians 3.17, which is you know, right after the verse I mentioned a few minutes ago, talks about how uh, we're to, whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you do in word or deed, it's not just singing, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So everything we do is meant to be an act of worship. But when we come together, that's the overflow. That, that's the, yeah, we can't wait to get together and sing about this and because it's because God's so great. He's so worthy. So he gets caught up. He says, awake, O harp and lyre. So he's not waiting for the mus musicians to stir him. He's talking to the instruments. He's saying, awake, O harp and lyre. Get with it. Come on. I want to worship the Lord. I want to praise him. I want to sing his praise. So come on. I need you. That's what he's doing. And then he goes beyond that. He says, I will awake the dawn. No, I don't know about you. I don't see too many dawns. I do see some, but not as many as I would like to. But he said, I'm not going to wait for the dawn to wake me up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake the dawn. Awake the dawn. I will awake the dawn. I'll get up. My heart is so, so steadfast in wanting to give God glory. I'm going to get up before dawn and say, son, son, come on, get up. I need you. Give God glory. Just like we were singing earlier, all creatures of our God and King, everywhere, everything, glorify him, praise his name. Then he says, he brings a little more definition to what he's doing. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. That's a part of our singing. The, the attitude is that our singing together isn't just for us. Although it is really sweet, it's not just for us. We sing praise to God with the with the the prayer and the mindset and the hope that the nations are going to join us, that our neighbors are going to join us, that, that people from other towns are going to join us, that, that, that clerks are going to, you know, baristas are going to join us, that, that everybody's going to join us because, because there's a reason that we want to give thanks to the Lord among the peoples and sing praises among the nations. And verse 4, 
is what brings, brings all this together. This is not just irrational emotion. This is not just uh, emotionalism. It's got a root. It, it has substance. It has solidity. And this is what it is. <coughs> Let me say this. God never tells us to praise him without giving us a reason why. And this is the reason why. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. And your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Now, the psalmist says as David might have been thinking about a lot of things that demonstrated God's steadfast love and his faithfulness. On this side of the cross and resurrection, we have something that, that David couldn't, couldn't imagine, really. He pointed to it. He was, he was the type of it, but he didn't, he didn't see it. We've seen it. We know it. Jesus Christ has come. And there's been no greater demonstration of the steadfast love of the Lord than in fact that God became man, the Son of God became man to live for us, to die for us, to take the full weight of our sins upon himself. Every sin, every sin. I say this so often to my children, to my wife, to myself, to people I'm counseling. Every sin, all our trespasses. There's no sin you've committed if you're, if you're a Christian, there's no sin you've committed that has not been taken by Jesus Christ. It's been paid for. You can't make that payment any greater. You can try, and we do. You think, oh, if I feel bad enough, it'll make it better. Or if I, if I just repent for long enough, if I make enough promises, or if I try hard. None of that pays the debt any more than it's already been paid through the blood of Christ. That's the steadfast love of the Lord. It reaches to the heavens. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's the steadfast love that keeps our hearts steadfast. And then he says, your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. That, that's talking about how God is going to be faithful to the end. Jesus himself, our high priest, is interceding for us. So we have reason to say to the dawn, get up. We have reason to say to the instruments, okay, come on, start playing. We have reason to shout. We have reason to sing. We have reason to lift our hands. We have reason to kneel. We have reason to tell our neighbors because we've experienced a steadfast love they don't know about. And so that's how he goes in verse 6. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Unless you think that, you know, I'm just an extrovert who just gets excited about everything. I don't. Uh, you can ask my wife. Um, we gather to be reminded of these things. But, but wouldn't it be a, a wonderful goal to come into the meeting with that mindset? I'm going to come in here. I'm going to wake up the instruments. I'm going to wake up the dawn. I, because I've experienced the steadfast love of the Lord and his faithfulness. Isn't it good? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your spirit that opens our hearts to your word and our eyes to see Jesus Christ. We ask that you would help us by your spirit to learn from your word, but Lord, not only just to hear 
for knowledge's sake, but to worship you, God, to delight in you. Would you send your spirit now as we look to your word? In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been doing this course, this sermon series on our core values, and I'm sure all of you are wondering what exactly are your core values, what is this, why are these important? The reason we're talking about our core values as our church plant is simply because we want to be really upfront about who we are. It's not because we're better than other people, it's not because there are battle uh, tools against other churches. This is actually just, we just want to define who we are and talk about who we are together and how we're going to love Jesus together as a church. And then how does that, how do those uh, core values send us into mission together? Um, so the, the whole sermon series has been called Rooted Foundations for Mission. So these aren't battlefronts that we're trying to set up. These are actually effectively our servant clothes. We're putting these on to go and serve our neighbors to be a part of the mission of God in Manchester and New Hampshire. Um, and so the whole point of this whole sermon series is to be up front. We don't want people to join the church plant because they like my beaming personality um, or because uh, the food is great, though it is. Um, it's because we're about Jesus, and we want to be clear about how we love Jesus and how we want to be on mission together. But uh, because we're kind of wrapping up the sermon series tonight, uh, let me just review for you uh, our eight core values and... Um, if you have any questions on them, I'd love to talk about these afterwards, or we have all of our sermons up uh, on the website. So our eight core values, and these, these, are not, uh, these are not intended to be, you have to agree fully on these to be a part of the church. These are intended to be, these, these are how we are building, these are the values that we're pulling from to build who we are. And we're just so grateful that people would, would come and be a part of the church and be what God's doing here. So, so these eight core values that we have are a vibrant Reformed tradition. And as Bob was just so well reminding us, this is not just kind of like an intellectual thing that we enter into God's worship. A vibrant Reformed tradition because we are excited that God has so graciously saved us because we don't have anything to bring to the table. We don't have anything to offer God. We are saved and we know Jesus and we enjoy his goodness because God in his gracious kindness has come down and revealed himself to us. So a, re a vibrant Reformed tradition, gospel-centered doctrine and preaching, we are going to pull our entire lives, we're going to build everything out of the centrality of the gospel and scripture. All of scripture points to Jesus, all of the Christian life builds out of the gospel and everything that doesn't build from the gospel is our own works. So we want to enjoy Jesus together. We want to build our lives together. So gospel-centered doctrine and teaching, that what we're doing now, what we're worshiping together right now, shaped by the gospel, um, it's going to have a different flavor to it. It's going to have a grace-saturated, Holy Spirit-imbued, Christ-centered reality to it um, that's going to affect how we do our marriages, how we do, our, how we do singleness, how we do... Uh, mission in the church, or mission in the city. Our third value, continuationist pneumatology. We thought this would be such a confusing category. It would just be two big words that don't make any sense to anybody and throw them together. What this means is we believe that when the Holy Spirit came upon the church in the book of Acts, that it gave, the Holy Spirit gave gifts that, are, that include everything from singleness and marriage to tongues and prophecy and that God continues to use those in the church today. That's not limiting the Holy Spirit to just those things. The Holy Spirit loves to conform us to the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit loves to, brew, to, 
to brood over us and produce the fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit continues to give us gifts of prophecy and tongues and healing, and we are going to be excited about that. So we're just going to be up front. Uh, I kind of describe it like, you know, yes, we're charismatic, but charismatic with a bit of a seatbelt, you know, so we're not going to go nuts, but we're going to enjoy the presence of God, and we're going to pursue the spiritual gifts together. So our fourth value, complementarian leadership in the home and church. Again, not to use big words just to be confusing, but complementarian means that God designed men and women to complement each other, and he designed that relationship to be one of headship and submission, not denigration and, lord- and lording over, but of headship and submission for the mutual love and affection and upbuilding and thriving of men and women. And that affects how we view church leadership and leadership in the home. And so that's what that, that's kind of the, the general gist of that. Our, our fifth value, elder church, elder-led church government. We believe that God has called elders to lead in the church. We believe that God has called elders to govern the church. And so um, while we do have, we have non-binding congregational votes, but we do have, we want to empower our elders to make leadership decisions and to lead us. And that also means that it's not just one elder, me, calling the shots. There's a plurality of elders. And uh, Lord willing, my votes get shot down all the time. We are not out to make Jacob's vote count. We're out for the leadership of the church, the eldership to be able to lead with, uh, with conviction. And so our sixth core value, missional life and church planting. We exist because we value church planting. <laughs> we are a church plant. So we are the embodiment of this, this value. But um, we long to see more churches planted. We want to start out saying we want to plant. In the next five years, we want to do another church plant, Lord willing, either on the west side or another part of Manchester, Lord willing, in the next 20 years. We have a vision for seeing every town in New Hampshire and then beyond into New England with a gospel-centered community. Lord willing, that's a church plant. We've been talking with David Pickney up at River of Grace about how we can do that together. We are eager for churches to be the front line of mission in New Hampshire, and we believe that God's going to do that. And so... We just want to, we want to start saying we are a church plant and we intend to cut people off and send them out. So we're just starting out with that value here that also has impact for our uh, global missions as well. So then values seven and eight, this is where we're going to be preaching on tonight. A vital connection with Sovereign Grace churches and specifically Sovereign Grace churches regionally. So Sovereign Grace churches... Obviously, Bob's here, part of our fellowship of family of churches. Sovereign Grace Churches is our, our family DNA. You know, it would be like King's Cross Church, you know, and then last name would be Sovereign Grace Churches. You know, like that idea. So, yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a bit cumbersome. So, but we, we are made healthy. We are empowered for mission. We are facilitated for mission because of this value. We're going to be preaching on it, so I don't have to do a mini-sermon here. And then it's value eight, enthusiastic collaboration with broad kingdom work. And so um, these, these last two are what we're going to be preaching about tonight because we are going to be basically talking about partnership. Value seven and eight, sovereign grace. And then value eight, collaboration, broad kingdom work. At the heart of this is the value of partnership. Partnership is a part of who we are. It's a part of, I think, healthy churches. It's a part of mission moving forward. And so I know that this is going to be a bit of a a broad topic. So what I want to do 
is I want us to look at Revelation 5. We're going to start in Revelation 5, and then we're going to back out, and then we're going to land on Revelation 5. Because I think when we begin to understand this value of partnership, I think our heart for mission, our enthusiasm for mission, our faith for mission is going to be built. Because that's what God is using us here for. for. And Revelation 5 holds out this vision of what we are called to. So I want to ground us in Revelation 5. And so you could be asking, why, why are you looking to Revelation 5? What's going on here? Revelation 5 is this glorious picture of the throne room of God where the, the multitudes are gathered to worship him. This is, in effect, what's going on right now, and it's what's going to go on forever in heaven, and it's where we're being called to. And John, the writer of, of Revelation, is concerned for the churches. He is concerned for how does their life make sense? How does the suffering they're experiencing make sense? How does the difficulties of advancing the gospel make sense? How does all this fit together? And in this picture of Revelation 5, a scroll, which is the will of God, is handed to him, as handed, and there's nobody fit to open it except for Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb that was slain. And then we get to Revelation 5, Verse 9, and this song breaks forth to glorify the Savior. And, a new, and they sang a new song. So these are all the angels and all the people in the throne room. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea that is in, and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And the four creatures, living creatures said, Amen. And the others found it, fell down in worship. See, it, it is here in the presence of God that the purpose and meaning of the universe is revealed. It is about Jesus Christ himself. It is about the glory of Jesus Christ. It is about who he is. Because here he is. He stands between the multitudes of creation, the multitudes of the church, and God himself and ushers us into the presence of God to worship Him. And they are singing to God, they are singing to Jesus, and this is where we are going, because you see it's talking about that the realization of mission is every tribe and tongue gathered into the presence of God. That's what we long for. We long to see more, the nations, as we were just, Psalm 108, the nations coming into the presence of God to sing to Him. If that's what we're aiming for, if that is the purpose of mission, we are not here to plant a church that is convenient. We are not here to plant a church that is just, you know, the whole foods of theological discernment. We are not trying to develop a church here because we just want to be different from other people. We are here to plant a church because God uses church plants to get to this purpose here, that every tribe and tongue and language and people will be gathered into the glory of God. So if that's the picture, if that's where we're going, 
how do we get there? How do we get to this picture in Revelation 5? That's the question I want to ask us. And so we're going to, we're going to back up because we want to ask the question, how do we get from this day to that day? How do we get from this day here, March 19th, 2016, launching King's Cross Church next week? How do we get from this day to that day? Because we, we want to get there. And God is calling us there. And what is the purpose? How do we get there? I think, so again, this is not like a normal sermon. Usually we kind of dig into one passage and we just kind of, we see what God has for us there. We're going to kind of, we're going to kind of skim through a few things. We're going to back up and skim through a few things and get back at Revelation 5. So if you guys would join me in looking at John 13, I think the night before, the night when Jesus was betrayed, he gives a command to his disciples that I think grounds us in answering this question. How do we get from this day to that day when the nations are gathered into Christ? So we see John 13. And so Judas has just left. He is going to betray Jesus. And Jesus begins what's called the last discourse, the upper room discourse with his disciples. And he says to his friends in verse 33, little children, and then 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love, one another. There is, there is a reality to the love of Christ that he is about to, as we are celebrating next week, he is about to walk to the cross and exemplify perfect love for his people and dying for those people that would desert him, that would betray him, that would leave him. He would die out of sacrificial love to ransom them. He would die to prefer them, he would die to save them. It's this love that Jesus holds out for us as the type of love we are to have for each other. The love, this sacrificial love, this laying down of our lives for each other, this preference for other people, this love for each other, this love, this gospel love is what he is holding out for us, this love that would define this new community, this, this new community of disciples. And it's not just uh, you know, kind of a personal religion that you keep to yourself. This love for each other is observed by the outside world, and they look on and see what kind of love they have for one another. You see, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. They will know what kind of love that we have for each other because it, re- it reveals, it, it has the flavor of, it has a taste of Jesus and his love for us. This love for each other that that lays our lives down for each other, that makes preference for each other, that, that bears the burdens of each other. It's if you have this love for one another, Jesus will be known through the nations. So you see the connection that I want to draw here is all people here, John 13, all people will know that, my, that you are my disciples when you love, your, when you love each other. That's how we get to all tribes and tongues and Revelation 5. So we are going to 
ask, what does this mean? How does this work out? Because it's basically Jesus saying, love is all you need. The Beatles wanted to say it. Jesus said it first. But if is that what Jesus is really holding out for us? Just kind of like this vague notion of like, okay, just love each other and be nice. No, no, Jesus is holding out a particular kind of love that we see through the New Testament. And so we are going to see that and how the apostles apply this to their life together. How do the apostles live in light of that day of Revelation 5? How do they live in light of that reality in their life together in the New Testament? And I think in this command to love one another as I have loved you, I think this is the soil that this whole value of partnership comes out of. This is the soil, this is the gospel soil that the value of partnership is grown from. And so whether it's with Sovereign Grace churches or it's other churches locally or regionally, it is this love for each other that I think Jesus has in mind that builds this value of partnership. And so if you guys will, will walk through this with me, I know this is a bit of a different thing, but I want us to look at these three principles of partnership from the New Testament building out of this gospel soil. So if we're going to lay our soil that our love for each other is, the, is, is an evidence of Jesus' love for us, that love for Jesus is how we love each other, if that's a soil that partnership grows up out of. I think there's three things that God wants us to see as we build this value. So partnership is an organized love. Partnership, partnership in expansive love. Partnership in realized love. So we're going to look at these together. And if you are talking about this day to that day, this command to love one another as Christ has loved us is the, the blueprints for the bridge. And these three principles are the way we build that bridge. Organized love, expansive love, and realized love. So if the first thing we're going to look at is partnership and organized love. If we're going to ask, you know, who is the most loving person in the New Testament, it's hard to say who exactly the most loving person is in the New Testament, but certainly Apostle Paul would rank the top five. I don't know if he would win the award, but he would certainly be up there and getting it. The Apostle Paul is one of the most loving men in the New Testament. And you see this exuding in Paul in every letter that he's written. He writes all these letters to the church because he cares for them so deeply. He carries the churches on his heart at every turn we see this. And so just one example, Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. Paul says to this church, this church that is much like King's Cross, this little church that has big vision for Jesus, that's living life together, this little church like King's Cross, Paul writes these words, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, about you all because I hold you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection. You, you hear this love language. 
how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. You see, if Jesus commands them, love each other as I have loved you, here is Paul doing just that. He is loving the people of God just as Christ has loved us. He is speaking out of this love. He is teaching out of this love. He's caring for them out of this love. He has a deep affection and a partnership with them because of this love for them. He is committed. I mean, you would get that from Paul's language. He is committed to them. And it's not just here, Galatians 4, 19, my little children whom I again, in, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth that Christ is formed in you. His love for Christ to be formed in them. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He cares for not just one church or this church, but for all churches. He carries the churches on his heart. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7-8, and you, but you, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because we, you have become very dear to us. Oh, how Paul cared and loved for the church. How Paul loved the people of God. He laid down his life to serve them. He poured out his life to care for them. And for Paul, this is a small window in how he had been so deeply affected by the gospel that he loved God's people. And with Paul, you can see that this is not an occasional love. This is not a slight love. This is not an uncommitted love. Paul's commitment to the churches was rich and deep. And we see here that it's not just an occasional thing. For Paul, it wasn't the type of love that just said, like, well, I'll show up to church when I get there, and I'll kind of come and help you out when I can, and if I have some money, I'll send it if, I, if it's possible. Now, Paul's commitment was strong and abiding and deep, and I think that it's this, this reality of a committed love for the church, this, this love for the churches that cost him, that was costly. This, I think, runs right against the grain of, of American idealism, maybe New Englandism, New England identity specifically. I mean, New Hampshire, for crying out loud, our state motto is live free or die. Like, we are independent people from, like, top to bottom. We love our independence. And this gospel reality of partnership, of long-suffering, of commitment, of sacrificial commitment to each other, it runs right in the face of the culture where we live, of the world that we are raised up to believe. We, are, we want to be independent people. And the gospel says, you, are, you must be committed to God's people. You must be meaningfully relating, not only with local churches, but Paul is clearly talking to other churches. He, so there's a, there's a regional commitment. There is a church-to-church -church reality in this love. Paul's love for the churches, it has a grit to it. You might say it's got true grit. This grit brings accountability to his love. 
So he's submitted to the churches. He is submitted to other believers. This accountability, because this love requires something of him, because it's accountable to other churches, this is where I'm getting the phrase, an ordered love. It requires working. It requires thought. It requires cooperation. It requires that they work together and kind of organize their love together. Because you see all through the New Testament, churches are constantly taking up collections and ordering how we're going to send this collection of money to another church. How are we going to care for this other church that's facing this, you know, this influx of heretical teaching? How are we going to care for these believers that are suffering? God's people are constantly, you know, you might say today, sending tweets and sending money and sending people all constantly back and forth, caring for each other because they had such a commitment. They were organized. They had an accountability to each other. Their love was real. Kind of like, kind of like if a guy and a girl, they love each other, they don't just kind of like, you know, for the next 50 years, we're just going to kind of love each other and just kind of, you know, hang out. No, they get married. And that marriage gets commitment. That's commitment. There's a, there's a, there's a binding together. There is something that is expected on both sides. There's an organizing of that love. You don't, I mean, you don't say marriage is kind of like, you know, oh, it's just such like a drab to, to love. No, like marriage organizes love and funnels love and gives it shape and purpose. And that's what this, you see in the New Testament, this partnership between churches, it funnels love. It gives direction to it. It gives order to it. You might call it polity. That's, you know, that's kind of like the theology, theology term. I kind of geek out on polity. But polity is just a word just to say organized love. Organized love is what polity means. You see this? Let me read for you. We've been talking about kind of all what the churches do. 2 Corinthians 8 is one of these verses where you see, you kind of get a window into what's kind of the hustle and bustle, the day-to-day, the going back and forth of one church to the next. So 2 Corinthians 8, again, this is Paul, verses 16 through 24. But thanks be to God who put it into the heart of Titus, the same earnest care I have for you. So you're picking up on the love language here, right? Titus, the earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord with you, with him, we were sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. So even back there, they had guys who were better at preaching than others. You know? And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should, be, should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, who has been tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever, because he has great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers for the church, of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches for your love and your boasting about you to these men. So you see, there is, there is, a, requ- there is a, a life together. There is a love between these churches that works together to say, Paul and all these guys, we're going to send you out. There's cooperation between these churches to work together, to send, gather money, to send preachers, to, to send their celebrity preachers of the day 
around to care for the churches. There's a real love. There's a submission. There's an organizing of this love for each other. And even in the non-fun things, rebuking and correcting each other. So when we talk about our Sovereign Grace Book of Church Order, I, I, I dig reading the Book of Church Order. I read the Book of Church Order, and I think, thank you, God, that we have people who are thinking through how to help us organize our love to be more effective in our mission together. But the reason that we are working together with Sovereign Grace, the reason that we exist is because of Sovereign Grace. Humanly speaking, they've financially cared for us. They've invested in me and the other leaders. But when we work together as churches, here just four things that come to mind are the things that we get from working together, with following this New Testament pattern of churches working together. Cooperation and mission. We get to work together to raise up a church planner and send them out. Or a church planner to another country. Cooperation and care. Look, I might be a lot of things, but I'm not going to be great at everything. We need other churches to help us care for each other. We are, look, if the New Testament is any indication, we're going to need care at some point. We might not need care right now, but it's going to come. We have already received care. I mean, Bauer has come and cared for us and preached for us. Bob's here preaching, caring for us, caring for each other, encouraging each other. Doctrinal fidelity. We need accountability to make sure that we are thinking through things carefully. You know, right now, Sovereign Grace, we're working through this new confession of faith. Uh, our statement of faith is already beefy enough, but we're going to go, you know, Westminster on this and just going to go, you know, make it real, real nice and thorough. But it's because we want to be careful. We want to be, we want to be clear about who do we understand Jesus to be? Who do we understand God to be? What do we understand the life of the church together to be? What do we understand the life of the mission of the church to be? These aren't things you can, don't trust me with that stuff. We need to work together. We have to work together as churches to figure out what is the Bible teaching us? And then, fourth thing that comes to mind, accountability and crisis. Look, we're, we're going to hit a crisis moment as a church. Um, you know, just this last week, we were praying for our, church, uh, our sister church, Risen Hope, down in Philly. You know, they had, in the last two months, they've had three leaders in the church die. I mean, just to think about that, just the, the suffering that they've walked through, losing these three members of their church. And it just, you know, they're a young church plant just like us. You know, could account of, you know, being able to care for each other in crisis. I, I talked to Tim, you know, recently, and we're going to see him in a few weeks. And I, I carry that on my heart for them because I, I love them. And with our partnership within Sovereign Grace, there's like, there's like real skin in the game on that. I care about them. We care about them. You know, Bob's presence here tonight. Bob has, for 34 years in Sovereign Grace, and then 19 leading Sovereign Grace music helped us, discipled our churches with doctrinally rich songs that help us to delight in Jesus together. He has cared for the churches. I mean, you know, he could do that, you know, on his own label, just kind of do it on his own. But, but Bob is very humbly submitted to the church to care for the church, to disciple the church with rich songs that we sing week after week. And to be honest, songs are probably going to be more you're probably going to remember more songs in your life than you're going to remember any of the sermons I preach. You know? <laughs> you know, we think about, like, the Reformation was, like, so great in Luther and Calvin. The people at the time, they only knew the songs. They didn't really care about, like, the books, you know? <laughs> it's weird. We, 
we care for each other. It's a meaningful connection. It's a, it's a, it's a living reality. And so I, I hope that you see that we could talk through, I mean, I would love to talk through all the details of the BCO if you really want to. It, BCO is free online. You can download it and read it for your devotions if that is your thing. But the principles of what we're doing together in Sovereign Grace is a family of churches that love each other, that are on mission together, that care for each other, that, that love the life of the church together. But here's the thing. We could be talking about this value, and you could hear me kind of like raising the Sovereign Grace flag and get the impression Oh, man, we're all, we're all about sovereign grace, and we're only about sovereign grace. And if you're not sovereign grace or sovereign grace church, then, you know, basically you're like, you know, like the next level. You're, you're, the, you're church junior varsity, you know. Like that's, that's not what we're trying to communicate. We are committed to these values together, but it's just it's because these are the values that we love to build around. But we love the broad church. We love the people of God. And so we've been kind of heavy on this first point, organized love because I just want to ground us in Scripture on this one. But we're going to look at partnership and expansive love as our second principle to build this bridge from this day to that day, right? We're going to build from this day to that day. We want to keep Revelation 5 in mind. So we're organizing sovereign grace, organized love. Point two, partnership and expansive love, because we are not trying to put these values on as battle, war, battle garbs. The gospel... Here's the thing. The gospel is the, is the mark of the true church. The gospel, the right preaching of the gospel, that is what defines a true church. The true church rightly preaches the gospel, rightly understands the gospel, rightly upholds the gospel, and that is what it defines who are the true people of God. Do they believe in the gospel? That's all we're holding up. And if that's the, tr- if that's the mark, if that is the reality that we're holding out for who are the people of God, then I, it is my right, it is my duty to benefit from all the people that love and know Jesus Christ, no matter how much I disagree with them. And we see this, and just, we'll look, let's just look briefly at John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And again, you'll pick up on this, my little children language, just this care for his people. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins. And not of ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. So you see, John has in view that day. All the nations coming to know Jesus Christ. John has in view the nations coming to know Jesus Christ. And by this we know that he has come that we have come to know him if we, have, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So remember this love language that we're going with. The love of God is perfected, and by this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him walks in the same way that Jesus walked. And how did Jesus walk? So verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. So this is where we are looking to see this expansive love of the gospel for the people of God. We must look at the people that trust in Jesus and see a redeemed person that Jesus Christ died for and love them and benefit from them. We must build together 
and as, as much as possible. These are the people that Christ died for, whether they're in our church or in another church or in another denomination. We have no right. We have no right to condemn those that Christ has saved. We have no right to judge those that Jesus has saved. We have no right to speak kind of like uh, in muddled voices, well, they're a Christian, but, you know, they're wearing the blue shirt. That We have no right for those that Jesus Christ has died for. We have no right to condemn them. We may disagree. And brothers and sisters, I mean, we meet in Church of the Redeemer, and I love John Paul Taylor to tears. I am so grateful for him. But we, we don't baptize babies. And I just disagree with them. I'm not going to do it. And now I could, I could amp up the rhetoric on that. But we, we love them still. We are so grateful for how God has used them. We love that God uses them. We, lo- we have no right to hate them. We have no right to condemn them. We must learn. We must benefit from and learn and work with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So my posture is just quite frankly, I'm going to press in and build relationships across the, the board as much as possible until people push me out. You know, so I go to a prayer meeting once a month for pastors in the city. You have Dick Kiernan, who's an evangelical Catholic, who's there. And then you have John Serrata from First Baptist, who, you know, charismatics don't have a pope, but if charismatics had a pope, he would be the pope for New England for charismatics. I mean, he's just such a great man of the faith. There's John Rivera from Hope Tabernacle, who has been such, personally, such a means of grace to me. I just have benefit. And these are all men, so I, I'm clearly not a Catholic. You know, like, I'm committed to being a part of Sovereign Grace Church. And, you know, so there's going to be dis- disagreements that we have, but gosh, these brothers have been such a, a means of grace, strengthened my soul, and they have, they have cared for us. And we are talking, with, you know, about how can we do children's ministry stuff together in the city? How can we do a, a vacation Bible school as joint, jointly together as churches in the city? Because, look, friends are slim pickings, you know? Like, we want to work with anybody that will work with us. We love to work with the people of God. So it's not, we are not, the thing is, we are not trying to build King's Cross Church as the mark of, you know, the high water mark of church in New England. <laughs> uh, if that's why you're joining King's Cross Church, you're going to be very disappointed in about five minutes. You know, it's, it, this is not, we're not trying to do that. We are so grateful. So, you know, I, we pray regularly for other churches in our city. Actually, I learned that from Sovereign Grace Church of Louisville. I, I remember learning that from their pastoral prayers. They would pray for other gospel preaching churches in the city. We pray for Hope Tabernacle. We pray for the Dialogue Church. We pray for Great Exchange Church. We pray for Church of the Redeemer. We pray for First Baptist Church. We pray for Trinity up in Concord. We pray for River Grace up in Concord. We pray for New Frontiers out in Portsmouth. We pray for Shiloh Community Church on the west side. We are so grateful for the churches that God is using. And we, we just want to be all about the love, you know? All about the love for God's people. So as we are looking to build this bridge from this day to that day. Talk about organized love. We are trying to be accountable with our love, funnel our love, expansive in our love so we're not the only kids in the block. We are all a part of the king's family, and we want to love Jesus together. But let's go back to Revelation 5 to see what we are moving towards that day. That's where we're going. 
The whole reason we have these values, the whole reason we exist, is to know Jesus and make him known. So again, we've asked the question, how do we get from this day to that day? If the mission of the church is to spread the fame of Jesus Christ, the infolding of the nations, to bringing our neighbors right next to us, to the nations, into the people of God. If that is the goal in Revelation 5, and how do we get there is by loving each other, by sharing the love of Christ with those around us. Let's then look back at Revelation 5, and what I want to point out as I'm going to read this passage again, we have talked about partnership. I want you to notice they are partnering together in their worship of Jesus. They are working together in how they worship Jesus. It is organized, not to the diminish of enthusiasm or passion, but is, it is organized in their partnership to love Jesus and to worship him. Revelation 5, 9 through 14. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the living, four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. They are singing, they are singing about the gospel of who God is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who came from the Father, who stepped down and took on flesh, who walked in our shoes, who lived in our towns, who's, who sat at our tables and heard our conversations. He lived a life among us that we could never live because he lived it perfectly. And this Jesus Christ that came down from the Father because the Father so eagerly desired to save men and women for himself and glorify his name. This Jesus Christ he is who they're singing of because of what we are celebrating this coming week. That he walked up to the cross of, and took our sin, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our brokenness, all the things that would separate us, that would break this partnership with God, all the things that broke our relationship with God. Jesus Christ took on all those things on himself and bore the full wrath of God in our place. And these, in Revelation 5, they look and they see the glory of it. They see who Jesus is. They see the glory of God because God is merciful and kind and gracious to save men and women for himself. This is what they're singing out. They're singing about all that God has done in Jesus Christ, all the victory that Jesus has accomplished. They're singing about the gospel. They're singing about the God who would so design the world, who would so rule the world, that he would graciously reveal himself and give us the gospel, give us Jesus Christ to save us from our sins so that our lives would then be shaped and built and reordered and corrected and changed and molded 
to look like Jesus. And He would send His Spirit to fill us and encourage us with the life of Jesus and encourage us with prophetic words and give us the fruits of the Spirit so that we would grow to be more like Him so that we would be submitted and in community together as a local church ruled by elders that love Jesus and lead us to know Jesus. That we would build healthy churches and that not only would we build healthy churches engaging our neighbors and, and seeking to save the lost not only in our neighbors but in the nations, but that we would work together as a group of churches to love Jesus and to make him known and to make him known to the ends of the earth so that we could get to this day in Revelation 5 where the nations are gathered around him. John goes on to say in Revelation 7, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with one loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around in the thrones and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and honor and thanksgiving and power and might be to our God forever and ever. That is the day we are going for. That day... This whole mission, this church plant, all churches, they exist to serve this one purpose, to bring the nations in to glorify Jesus Christ, to make much of His name, to see Him and to revel in Him and to delight in Him. So that in Revelation 21, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. This partnership between God and man is renewed. And they will be his people, and God himself will be, their, be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, this is Jesus, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment to the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. This is what we offer. This is what we offer to our neighbors. This is what we offer to each other. This is what we offer to the nations. Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone. We only have Jesus to give. And it is this Jesus who has brought us together by his own love, his death on our behalf, that we would know God and delight in God. This love has brought us together in this local church. And we are just not, we are not autonomous. We are together with other churches, committed to Jesus, committed to this mission, committed to seeing Revelation 5, Revelation 21, where the nations are gathered in to to glorify and know Jesus Christ, to know him forever. 
This is why we value partnership. Because we seek to know the gospel. And for the sake of the gospel, we would see the nations brought in to know Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would help us to so deeply value partnership together. That we would lay down our lives for each other to see this mission accomplished, God. It is to this end that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.